It is Wednesday, February 10th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Draft Sharks Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smolin. Joining us today for episode three in the What I Got Wrong series is Mike Tagliere, an analyst for Fantasy Pros, one of the co-hosts of the Fantasy Pros Football Podcast. Mike, thanks very much for joining us today. Oh, no, of course. Thanks for having me, guys. I mean, I this is the time of the year where I actually love it because I'm able to hop on a bunch of different podcasts and do different things that in season, it's really difficult. You know, we all have crazy schedules. Jared's hopped on our show a couple of times and I'm always gracious of that because I know in season, how much of a grind it could be, especially with a newborn and all that stuff. So uh, it's, it's going to be fun talking to you guys. I was all set to ask you about kind of taking it easier in the off season now that we're past football season, but you told us right before the show, you've actually got a move coming up. So it might get busier for you now, huh? <laughs> it's weird though. I mean, I think that's the one thing that you don't realize once you're, you know, when you're, when you're not in the industry full time, you're like, Oh, I'm going to have so much time to do whatever I want. I'm going to be able to research this that I wanted to do. And it leads you down a rabbit hole because you find one thing and you're like, Oh, whoa, whoa, wait, what if I do a spreadsheet on that? And then you do that and that and that. So in season, I basically abandon college football. I don't watch college football mm-hmm. because Saturday is the one day of the week where I tell my wife, I'll be a dad. I'll be a husband. I'll, I'll do like family things. Uh, so now I'm catching up on all the college stuff, trying to get ready to do like the big boards and the mock drafts. And then we have free agency in March, and then the draft in April. And it's like May and June and July is typically the area where, okay, it's, it's, it's a little bit calm before the storm. And that's basically when we're trying to, trying to, to, to figure out a move across states you know, like that, that coincides with a football schedule. It's not, it's not great. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, it's actually a pretty tough thing to do. People have actually talked to me about the birth of my son. They're like, did you co did you, did you plan that so that he wouldn't be born during the season? And I was like, I, I, I have no comment on such things, but uh, we have more time to do other things in, in other months, but uh, it's still, it's still kind of the busy season. But again, we do have a little bit more free time to be able to do shows with some of the places that we don't necessarily get to all the time. So again, I, I always look forward to this time of the year. Yeah, it still makes me angry that Jared didn't plan better than having his daughter in September last season. <laughs> Jared, you got you to gotta plan that stuff, man. Yeah, I'm that works you. great. You know, it worked great. My, my, my wife was home. You know, she had her three months. Now she's back to work. I'm less busy. So I'm on, you know, <laughs> daycare duty. That's yeah. true. I did notice recently, Mike, that last summer you were pushing Aaron Rodgers as a an MVP bet for the then coming season, which obviously worked out. Have you had some time to bask in that? And did that carry over into any extra... Aaron Rodgers exposure for you in fantasy. So, you know, what's weird is like we did our show on the fantasy pro show. We we did it where we talked about our hits and misses from the season. And I Dan Dan will brag for me sometimes because he wants me to do it. But I hate taking those victory laps. I you'll never see me go on Twitter and be like, you know, this is right, this is right, this is right, this is right, because a player has one or two good games or whatever. It's more about like that's my job to try and figure out when those things are going to happen and predict them, you know, before the, the majority of the public does. The biggest thing, that's why I loved about this show and you invited me on, it's like, let's talk about those misses because those are the things that I, I take, like, that's a problem I have where it's like, I'm I'm going to be agonizing over it for the next couple months trying to figure out uh, what went wrong, what can I learn from, was it an outlier? Because sometimes you're going to miss and, and the process was correct. You know, like one of the guys we're going to talk about today, AJ Green, you know, he's a guy that like, if you were to go back before draft season and tell people AJ Green is going to play all 16 games, he's going to be on the field. Uh, Joe Burrow is going to be everything pretty much we thought he'd be. And AJ Green is going to be top 10 in the NFL in air yards. Where would you draft AJ Green? 
you know, people would have been drafting him as a top 24 wide receiver. That much I do know because when AJ Green's been on the field, he's been extremely productive. But unfortunately, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, you go back and you try and learn from and you say, all right, wh what could I have learned from this? And it's, you know, that AJ Green was away from the football for an entire year, you know, uh, that the Bengals were very shoddy about injury history and things like that and not telling us the truth about what they were going to do with them. Like I said, I love going back and trying to figure out those missing pieces and saying, all right, how can I apply this to the next player? Because there's always going to be a next player that you're wondering about for the following year. Mm -hmm. So since you did bring up AJ Green, obviously he's a miss wherever you took him at this point in hindsight. But considering that we didn't have to actually invest that much to get him, is he the kind of player that right now you're really kicking yourself about and that he's going to change much for you going forward? Or is he just kind of, a risk that you knew you were taking in round seven, round eight, that's still the kind of risk that you're okay with taking going forward. I would absolutely. That's a, that's a risk that I'd probably take again, uh, just because of where he was being drafted. And that was one of the things I said, because I, I wrote an article basically saying my, my must have players for 2020. He was on that list. And I said, it's not because I, I must have him and I'm going to draft him in the fourth or fifth round. It's because of where you're drafting him. You know, you can miss on players in the mid rounds. You can miss on players in the fifth or sixth round. You can't miss those top tier picks. You can't miss those ones that are locked in starters every single week. You know, your top two running backs, your top two wide receivers, those guys you need, everything else is kind of mix and match. And AJ Green getting him in the seventh or eighth round where he was going in drafts he even dropped a little bit further once he had that preseason or the training camp little mishap or whatever it was uh, he dropped a little bit more in rankings where it was like you were getting him in the ninth round sometimes that's a risk I'm willing to take. You know, we've seen that guy produce at a high level in his, throughout his career. I do the series. It's called boom bust and everything in between. And I've been, I've gone back to 2000 tracked every player's game in terms of the fantasy points they scored, what it meant that year, because, you know, 15 PPR points this year would have been a wide receiver two performance. But if you go back to a different year, it may have been a wide receiver one, but basically I go through and track all those, right? There was only five players since 2000 that produced wide receiver two or better numbers than AJ green over the course of their career. So it was like, I was banking on a wide receiver who had been there. He'd done that. Yes. He had a year off football, but the circumstances were getting better in Zach Taylor's offense. They knew the offense a little bit more. They were getting Jonah Williams back. They had Joe Mixon. It seemed like they figured out how to use him. T Higgins was a rookie, you know, T Higgins, that, that, that was one of the things it's like, it was a miss because I felt like, you know, a lot of these rookie wide receivers, it, I don't think people talk about it enough this year about what these guys did because they, they went from, you know, wide receivers were always a project. It was a third year breakout wide receiver. That's what we always used to talk about. And nowadays it's like, we expect the guy to walk into the league and dominate right away, dominate right away because we're seeing guys like DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, these guys just walking Justin Jefferson be studs right out the gate. And knowing that Justin Jefferson, T Higgins, these guys did it without an off season, without any preseason games. It's kind of ridiculous. So, I mean, I did not expect T Higgins to walk in. I felt like he was AJ Green's eventual replacement in the lineup. I did like Tyler Boyd as well, but yeah, if I go back and talk about AJ Green, if I find another player like that, that I can have in the ninth round or whatever. Yeah. I'll take that shot again, especially knowing the usage he got. It's just, unfortunately, AJ Green seemed to fall off a cliff. Maybe, maybe you're a bit more cautious with players that are aging coming off a year long injury. But at the same time, again, if you get a, a wide receiver, that's top 10 in air yards, it's extremely rare. You're going to see that guy finish outside the top 30 wide receivers. Yeah. I mean, I think among all the misses we've talked about so far, I think AJ Green is like the best miss when you consider where he was going in drafts. I mean, I, I still think his price was, you know, much more heavily weighed towards the downside. And we obviously got the downside, but even then, I mean, drafting AJ Green in the eighth or ninth round didn't kill your fantasy season. And the way his season went, 
it could have played out where he was a top 24 wide receiver. If he just connects on, as you said, Mike, some more of those air yards, the process was right. As far as the Bengals offense, taking a step forward with Joe Burrow, Tyler Boyd and T Higgins were two hits on that team. So I, I think the process was fine with AJ green. We mentioned, uh, we talked about T Y Hilton on the show with Mike clay. I think he was similar, an aging guy who was coming at a discount that had opportunity for big target share. I think, you know, th- those types of guys, they're fine to take shots on if you can get them in the eighth, ninth, 10th rounds. Yeah. I think for me, T Higgins is the more kick yourself player than AJ green in that I knew I really liked Joe Burrow heading in. I knew that there, I, I saw upside in the Bengals offense and I knew that there was some risk to AJ green. So wrapping all that in with being able to get T Higgins late and, you know, you don't have to plant a flag to take somebody in round 12 or round 13 more often than you did. It's just getting some exposure to that guy. That's the kind of player that I really need to see the what if on a little bit more going forward is get some T Higgins in there just in case something happens that I can't project with my numbers on the spreadsheet heading in. Yeah, no, for sure. And it wasn't even just AJ Green. You know, you had John Ross, a a guy that was supposed to be the field stretcher that was coming into the the year healthy. You had Tyler Boyd. And that was where I liked T Higgins. When I scouted T Higgins, like I didn't think that he popped off the page as an athlete or anything like that. But my my description of him was that everything he does on a football field, he kind of makes it look easy. You know, there's guys that just kind of go through the motions. Jamar Chase is that guy. Like Jamar Chase, He doesn't look like he's trying too hard, but he just continually gets it done. And you're like, how does he do it? He's just a natural. And T. Higgins was that player. And that's why T. Higgins and Dynasty, I liked him a lot. But it was more like, I don't see how he gets in the field because if you line him up opposite A.J. Green, you have a similar player, right? Like, I'm not saying they're the same player, but a similar type player, whereas John Ross was the field stretcher. A.J. Green would be the possession style receiver. And then you have Tyler Boyd playing his role over the middle. So I just I didn't know how we got on the field unless they went to like a four wide receiver set. And even then, Auden Tate was somebody that they they played last year and he played pretty well. So I just there's so many things going against T. Higgins this year. So to do what he did and you know finish as a top, I think he was a top 25 wide receiver this year. I went back and I like in my rankings for 2021, I have T. Higgins as a I think my number wide receiver 16. And I think a lot of people are telling me that I'm too high on him. But I really don't feel that way. You know, A.J. Green's going to be gone. Uh, John Ross is obviously not, a, you know, he's a non-factor right now. They have to fix that offensive line. They have a lot of holes on defense where that team, they're not going to add a, a wide receiver of significance, I don't think. So, T. Higgins, ever since he became a starter in that offense with Joe Burrow, they played eight games together. In those eight games, T. Higgins was, I think, the wide receiver 12 during that time. So, yeah, I'm with you. I will invest in T. Higgins next year. Is ECR right now? I want to say is like 23. And I, it's, it's far too low. Yeah, I love, love to Higgins. My, my only question with him in 2021 is if Burrow's going to be ready for week one. I mean, yes. if he is, I think it's, you know, all systems go for Higgins. Just going back to last season, I think, you know, the green Higgins at cost, that would have been a, a good situation to draft both those guys and say, you know, I can get AJ Green around eight. Sure. And if he doesn't hit, it's likely T Higgins is going to have a, a strong season and, you know, he's worth a pick in the 12th round or whatever. Yeah, it's a good call. And it's also one of those things where it's it's kind of a, a best ball development in that you know you want to stack players on a best ball team, but you can also carry it over to you know standard lineup setting redraft where you can stack those players and have that insurance policy behind AJ Green. Well, the only issue that I think you would have had with Green and Higgins this year, I'm, I, I just tried to like do this mental like acrobats going back to the beginning, week one, week two. Higgins didn't even play. 
So th- mm-hmm. I think I, if you did draft them both, I might, I think you might be stuck in between a rock and a hard place because Higgins didn't really play in week one. So if you drafted him in the 13th, 14th round or whatever, you probably would have dropped him for that first waiver wire pickup of the year, which really sucks <laughs> because, but, but again, you weren't seeing him play snaps and you saw him get those when AJ green after, I think it was after two weeks, AJ green basically started to lose a few snaps. And then Higgins slowly gained. And I think by week four, he was a full-time starter. Yeah. Uh, so it, it would have been a, it, it was a tough one to project for sure. I mean, Justin Jefferson's a similar prospect in terms of like a guy I loved out of LSU, but I didn't draft him very high this year. I'm not going to lie about it in redraft leagues because he was a guy that during the the training camp that they got was like basically a month long. He was away from the team for like two and a half weeks with the COVID. Uh, Like he was put on the COVID list. So he was out. So I was like, and then they started talking about he's not impressing that they expected more. And I'm like, all these things are negative. The team only threw the ball 400 sometimes the year before Adam Thielen's healthy. Like I like Jefferson, but I don't know if this is it. And then the defense started falling apart. They started throwing the ball more and Justin Jefferson took off. I mean, that dude, again, another guy in 2021, I'm willing to invest a top 10 wide receiver pick on that guy. He's a superstar. It's a similar process. I, I guess this is going outside the box here because I didn't really these weren't guys that I, I, I technically missed on, but I, I did ultimately because I did not want to draft rookie wide receivers because of the whole situation with no preseason and no reps with the team. But again, these guys just shined when most rookie wide receivers just don't. I think one of the dilemmas that we probably have as fantasy analysts is when you when you are high on a guy, but you can't really see the clear path for him to get the opportunity that he needs to produce. I can remember from back in the early 2000s when I was just doing a newspaper column, I had Clinton Portis heading into his rookie season with the Broncos, and I was all set to make him one of my three sleepers. And then I heard that he was not going to start over Landis Gary to open the season. So I'm like, oh, crap, I guess I don't want to make a sleeper out of a running back who's not even starting. So I took him out, put in William Jackson the wide receiver for the Falcons at the time. Obviously, he did absolutely nothing, which is why anybody who's watching probably doesn't remember who William Jackson was. So it doesn't mean that you always stick to your guns because always sticking to your guns is going to make you wrong sometimes. But, you know, there are times and and you take the draft price in as a factor that you do just stick to it and you say, I don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but if you can get this guy late enough, something definitely can happen. Have a little patience. You might have a league winner. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so tough because we know that volume fuels all this stuff. I mean, that's more important than anything else. So when you're doing projections, like you need to be able to find volume for guys. But I think we do need to be able to take that leap and say, you know, this guy's so talented that even if we can't project volume right away or even if it's not clear that, you know, he's talented enough to, you know, get that volume at some point this season. Right. Now, if you're doing it in round four, it's a bit more of a risk than if you're doing it in round 12. But yeah, for sure. So now let's move on to a player that we've actually talked about on every show so far, and Stefan Diggs. So, Mike, what's your experience with Stefan Diggs in 2020? So Diggs, I didn't want any part of him going to the Bills. I felt that there was going to be a lot of instability in his fantasy performances. I, I felt like there was going to be some big plays. But uh, if you go to look what he did with Minnesota, like where he shined, right? Uh, in, t- in 2019, he led the NFL in deep yards in terms of passes that he caught that were over 20 yards led the league in receptions touchdowns yards all of it like he was the deep receiver for Kirk Cousins Cousins was one of the best deep ball passers in the league in 2019 and then you look at Josh Allen you say Josh Allen was legitimately maybe the worst deep ball thrower in uh, 2019 and that's why John Brown really didn't blow up John Brown very, very good wide receiver, you know, similar to Diggs in a lot of ways where these guys are route running savants. They're not guys that are going to, to win 50, 50 balls. You know, they're not those Calvin Johnson type receivers. They're, they're going to generate separation. They're going to rely on some accuracy or at least the quarterback to be 
at least in the same timing, like in that same timing area as them. But John Brown, he had a high floor in 2019, but he never had a ceiling because they were not connecting on those deep balls. And then in 2020, what changed? was Josh Allen, you know, and that's another guy I, I missed on my evaluation of him coming out of college because I didn't want him because I was like quarterbacks seldomly get more accurate. Accuracy is something usually that you just have or you don't. Josh Allen run, never really had it, especially when he played some of the top tier opponents in college. And I think we saw a lot of that throughout his first two years in the league. You know, there was inconsistency in his play. He couldn't complete the deep ball. And it was like, all right, he has a big arm. We know he could throw the ball down the field, but it was similar to, to Cam Newton in a lot of ways where you know, Newton was a guy that really struggled with accuracy throughout his career. There was one year in there where we looked at him and he was the MVP, right? Where he kind of had everything click. Everything went together. Josh Allen had that year. He had that year in 2020. Now, will it continue? I'm not going to write off Josh Allen because Cam Newton only had one year of doing that because Josh Allen has progressed every single year. That's all you can hope your quarterback does is progress in the NFL. So Diggs, I, I did a Twitter list. I mean, this is probably two or three years ago where I posted my top, I think top 20 wide receivers based on pure talent alone. I had Amari Cooper in the top 10. People made fun of me about it. Uh, and I had Stefan Diggs as a top 10 receiver. People talked about it. And I said, if Stefan Diggs were to get as many targets as Antonio Brown did, I think you would look at him like you look at Antonio Brown. I think that's how talented Stefan Diggs is as a route runner. Like the, the dude is just, he gets open against anyone. So when you combine a guy like that, and then you combine the fact that Josh Allen took a step forward, and then you combine the fact that he's getting like 10 targets per game, Stefan Diggs was a superstar. John Brown was hurt for a little bit of the year. They threw the ball more than I think anybody anticipated them to. The running backs were not involved in the passing game at all. Dawson Knox did not take a step forward in his career in terms of getting targets. So everything kind of went Stefan Diggs' way uh, in 2020. And I do I think that 2020 was a ceiling? I kind of do. Because again, Diggs is not the kind of guy that you're going to throw up to in double coverage and just say, I hope he comes down with this ball. He's not that guy. He's a, he's a route running guy uh, where it's like Josh Allen, does, do they let John Brown walk? You know, that's one other question that we have about this Bills team. Uh, because if they cut John Brown, they could save some money against the cap. Is John Brown older? You know, do they want to rely on him staying healthy? So there's a lot of things there. But ultimately, this one comes down to me just undervaluing Stefan Diggs as a, as a, as a player. And Again, I loved him as a player, but I really I, I overvalued the, the landing spot. But it, this can kind of go both ways, though, too, where if you look at CeeDee Lamb, you know, when he was playing with Dak Prescott and then you see what happened to CeeDee Lamb once Dak Prescott was gone. You look at Devontae Parker with Ryan Fitzpatrick and then you look at him with Tua Tungavailoa. And there's wide receivers that we could do this with all the time. But the difference is that I came back to because, again, I agonize over this stuff. I'm like, why did I miss? You know what? Why did I just why was I dumb about Stefan Diggs? And it. It was just me overvaluing the situation with a with a generational player. Devontae Parker's not a generational player. CeeDee Lamb, he was a rookie. I can't say that he – I don't know if he's going to be a generational player. But Stephon Diggs is that guy. He's that dude that he kind of transcends quarterback play and he's made it work. You know, he just never got targeted Minnesota. So it was like, how does how do the Bills view him? There were, there were a lot of question marks surrounding Diggs. And do I regret not drafting him higher? I obviously do. Could we have seen it coming? There's a lot of projecting that you kind of had to do, but at the same time, maybe we should have given Diggs the, the benefit of the doubt because he is such a special player. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Diggs is probably better than even like his biggest fans would have told you coming into this season. I mean, he was just so good this year. I think, you know, I mentioned it on a previous show, the fact that Buffalo gave up a first round pick for him should have told us a lot because, you know, teams don't give up first round picks for non-quarterbacks very often. So that True. that was a signal. But I mean, really, it, it was it was the massive, massive leap that Josh Allen took, which I don't think that really could have been 
predicted when you look at, you know, even going back to his college stuff and his first two NFL seasons weren't great. And then, um, you know, Buffalo being so pass heavy was, of course, the other major surprise. So it, it all just kind of came together for, for Diggs. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately that ceiling was not all that foreseeable. I think also complicating it for Diggs was he was in this pool in ADP of wide receivers with similar, you know, ranges of, of potential outcomes. So, Mike, looking forward, do you think that what happened with Diggs in 2020, you know, ADP versus final production, do you think that it's going to alter anything for you next season and beyond, you know, away from Diggs himself, but with wide receivers maybe moving teams or in terms of betting on talent? Yeah, I just want to see a player like, uh, again, I think I'll, I'll typically downgrade a player if he's switching teams uh, naturally, because if you look at history, they've just generally and especially in their first year, they underperform. But if you look at players like like a, like a, like like a Stephon Diggs, like an Amari Cooper, these guys I've used top 10 wide receivers in the NFL. So when when they switch, maybe I shouldn't basically say that that means as much as it should for another player, like where Brandon Cooks, for example, right? He's a guy that has done it before where you see him produce with quarterback, 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 quarterback. Now he played with a lot of great quarterbacks like Brandon Cooks. If you look at the resume between his career and then look at the career of someone like maybe like a DeAndre Hopkins, you're like, how good is, I mean, how good is DeAndre Hopkins? Because Brandon Cooks played with like some of the all-time greats, but he has done it year in, year out. Like he continually goes to a new team and he continually produces. So he is obviously a player that you don't have to worry about a switch so much. But again, historically, players switching teams, they're going to have a downgrade. And you have to look at the quarterback situation. You have to look at a lot of things. And again, Kirk Cousins excelled where Diggs excelled. And it was like, Allen struggled where Diggs excelled. And it's like, do these two mesh well, especially with no offseason, no workouts? They got to know each other on Madden. I mean, come on. Like, it's kind of ridiculous that uh, the chemistry that those two built through a video game. And I think, I mean, credit the Bills because they used Diggs differently than how he was used in Minnesota in 2019. I mean, he was mostly a short range guy uh-huh. with Buffalo this past season. So, you know, yep. the, the, the Bills, I think, have kind of emerged as one of the, the smarter organizations yes. in football. Yeah, they used him differently by actually throwing in the ball. Uh, The last wide receiver on our list for this discussion is Keenan Allen, another player who came up in our Tuesday chat with J.J. Zacharyson. Tell us, Mike, how about how Allen vexed you following rankings time in 2020? There's a lot of similarities with him and Diggs, even though Allen didn't switch a team. He had a lot of things going against him, right? He he, play, he was playing for a team that was moving on from Philip Rivers, their longtime franchise quarterback, a borderline Hall of Fame quarterback. On top of that, Keenan Allen was a guy that I, th- I think you'd have to go back like five or six years to find the last time he scored more than six touchdowns. So he was never a high touchdown guy, even with Rivers, who was throwing touchdowns. And then you're going to Tyrod Taylor, a guy that basically had never thrown more than, I think, 22 or 24 touchdowns in a season. Uh, they were going to become a more run heavy offense because the defense was getting better and better. Obviously, they had some injuries again. The, the stars were aligning for it to be a defensive minded team with the offense just trying to play a ball control style offense. And therefore, Keenan Allen was going to lose that 150 targets a year that he was basically seeing with Philip Rivers. And again, a guy that has a low touchdown ceiling. OK, Matt Harmon will tell you, I, I mean. Keenan Allen's one of the better route runners in the league. You know, he's a guy that they use all over the field. They use him in the slot, which is a mismatch for a lot of teams. But again, if your team is not throwing a whole lot, if you're not scoring a touchdown, it's like, what's the value of a target to Keenan Allen? So we had to downgrade him because of that. And then I said, okay, well, what if Justin Herbert takes over? Justin Herbert's a rookie. Justin Herbert was not a guy that like NFL teams were moving him down boards just because they they didn't feel like he was ready to play right away. And to be fair, without that Taylor injury, that, that odd punctured lung, he may have not played until midway through the season. You know, and this is the guy that wins the rookie of the year. But I felt like even if Herbert were to take over, 
this team, they grabbed Brian Bulaga on free agency as to play right tackle. So it just identified that they wanted to run the ball. Even, even going back to the draft, they drafted Joshua Kelly. They had Austin Eckler. They signed to an extension. And it was like, this team wants to run the ball. They had Tyrod Taylor. And even if Herbert were to take over at some point because Taylor's struggling, and if Taylor is struggling, that means Keenan Allen was struggling. So it's like, then they go to Herbert, a rookie who has no preseason action, who's playing behind an offensive line that I don't think has a starting caliber left tackle, which is a real problem for a lot of quarterbacks. And Justin Herbert, to his credit, I mean, that guy just outplayed all expectations. Again, even Herbert's biggest fan wouldn't tell you he would have did what he did, breaking the rookie record for passing touchdowns uh, in 2020. So it's another one of those things where it's like overvaluing situation, I guess. But but again, that's part of the stuff that we have to do as analysts to go through and try and figure out how many times a team's going to pass the ball. When they do pass the ball, what's the value of that target? What type of player is this? And all those things. So, and again, these, these cards were stacked up against Keenan Allen. And he just kind of overcame them. So, um, man, another another player. He's 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 a very very good player. But again, I just didn't feel like the value of his targets were going to be the same. And I also felt his volume was going to come down. So having him ranked, I think I had him around wide receiver 24, 23 ish. It proved to be just far too low. Situation is so important, but you have to get that situation right. And I think you know that that was the biggest reason Diggs and Keenan Allen. We're misses. So I think as we like look forward to 2021, it's like we need to find this year's Bills passing game or like last year's Ravens or 2019's Ravens offense. Like if you can find that team that's going to either break out or just be different than consensus, like the Bills just passing so much more than expected. You know, that's sort of where you can find big value, even if you're not like, you know, projecting a, a specific player to do it. If you can just get the whole, you know, pie from the team. Uh, you know, that, that's a way to find some some big league winners in fantasy drafts, I think. And you just got to find the variable in there, right? Like you think the Bills, what was the variable? They got digs. Uh, the defense wasn't as good. Then you go to the Chargers, you find Justin Herbert. So yeah, there's there's definitely, there has to be some sort of variable in there, whether it be a head coach or, or a massive impact player that was put on the team that would change it. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. Hopefully we can find that this offseason. Well, the other quiet variable in the Chargers situation was just offensive play volume. I mean, yeah. they jumped way up in total offensive plays last year versus the previous two years. They ended up with something like 130 more total plays than, than 2019, 180 over 2018. And I, I look back at my projections, they ended up throwing the ball about 130 more times, I think, than I projected. And it, it really wasn't a big difference in terms of pass run split it was slightly more toward the pass but it wasn't a huge difference there so the, the play volume really made a big difference and especially for Keenan Allen who has been a little bit more volume dependent than some of the more explosive wide receivers mm-hmm. so play volume there's certainly a lot of luck in that one and I wonder with that specific category Mike we know that it's a volatile category how do you handle play volume when you're projecting an offense in you know spring or summer whenever you're heading into the season Play volume is massive. I don't think people realize just how much that can mean to a player's projection. Because when you start going through that, I have a sheet that I have running. It's a spreadsheet. Like I said, a million different spreadsheets. But when you pull them up, I have like seven years tally now, where it's like seven years running. And I look at the play counts and like basically you're trying to project where it's going to go from there. And I don't think anybody could have projected the Chargers doing what they did this year. That's 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 one of the major things, because, you know, like Cliff Kingsbury, you knew his offense wanted to run more plays. Was the defense in a position where they were going to be better to the point where they could run more? more plays on offense. And I felt like, yes. So it's like, naturally you have to do some projecting to get there, but the chargers were one of those teams that you just couldn't do, but Mm -hmm. plays are a massive deal. And it's, it's, it's a lot of the reason why people, 
it's not that just we think Adam Gase is a terrible head coach. He is. But it's also due to the lack of volume because his offenses are continually, you know, running 56 to 60 plays per game. And if you're doing that, you're capping. So even like, let's say it's 58, we'll put it in the middle of his, his you know, his coaching tenure, 58. And then you have a coach that runs 68. Like Doug Peterson was a guy that was running a ton of plays per game for a long time. Uh, so if you look at 68 and 58, that's 10 plays per game. That could be 10 targets. It could be 10 carries. It could be whatever. And then when you do that over the course of an entire season, you're like, holy cow, this stuff does add up. And that's when you're doing projections and you're trying to find decimal points, essentially, what you're, what you're doing. And when you have that, the more plays per game, it allows for more consistency because you're not relying so much on that big play and there could be a lot of volume to go around. So again, look for those coaches that have a tendency to have running low play counts. You know, this, these will be, I'm sure you guys are doing it. We'll be doing it. Uh, articles throughout the offseason highlighting, you know, what teams run at a faster pace, which teams don't. And you know, if you're stuck in a tiebreaker where you're like, I don't know who to draft this player, or this player, I always lean towards the player that's going to be on a, on a higher scoring team that's going to be running more plays. But again, going back to Anthony Lynn, I thought we had a big enough sample size of what of the type of plays they ran. And again, I thought it was going to be more of a ball control style offense with Tyrod Taylor. So but again, the defense, you know, losing some of their playmakers uh, to injury that obviously changed the the path. And then obviously having Herbert drop back 40 times per game. But yeah, it's one of those things if we can identify and we can correctly predict it, you can find a lot of value. The Keenan Allen situation in particular has me thinking, so like at draft time last summer, I knew that I was a little bit uneasy with Keenan Allen as low as he was and thinking, I mean, he, he's produced above this already. He might be ready to outproduce our ADP on him pretty easily. I just couldn't find that path because of what we've been talking about here. So I wonder if maybe one thing to do this summer is – you know, after running through all the projections and doing the play counts for every team, maybe just do an exercise where it's like every team runs 1,100 offensive <laughs> plays. Yeah. Let's alter the projections for that number just to see what could happen mm -hmm. if, you know, something unforeseeable happens and this team runs a whole bunch more plays. And I wonder if I had done that and, you know, gotten Keenan Allen to that level, I'd been like, oh, okay. So I don't need to necessarily find the path, just the the what if that makes it possible for him. Yeah, with the target share and a lot more volume, that might be a good like best ball exercise to do. Mm -hmm. I think I think a good offseason project I might look into now is just figuring out how to better project play volume. Like, is it play caller? Is it quarterback play? Is it run pass split? Is it you know just how good the team is or how good the defense is? I mean, I think being able to project that more accurately, as you were saying, Mike, is just so, so huge when you're doing yeah. projections. Well, you can find his stuff, of course, on Fantasy Pros. And, Mike, that includes a big article you recently posted, right, with a whole bunch of facts and recapping the 2020 season? Yeah, I, I love doing that article. It's like, you know, in-season, the part I like about in-season is you have, like, a, a method to your madness. Like, if you were to ask me on Wednesday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, what are you doing? I'd tell you exactly where I am, what I'm going to be doing every week. Now, in the off-season, it gets done, and I'm able to, like, kind of just go through a million different things that I didn't anticipate or I wasn't able to do during in-season. And basically, my that article is my goal is to find so many stats and it's 175 of them where you might look in there and say, read a stat and you're going to be like, no, like, I love it when people tell me I double check this just to make sure you weren't lying about it. That's the type of stat I want you to find in there. So finding 175 is really tough to do, but at the same time, it's, it's one of the, it's like a scavenger hunt trying to find the coolest things you can. So yeah, check it out. There's a, another older player that's coming off an injury, Julio Jones. He's been dropping in, in fantasy drafts, uh, like the early, early ECR. Sometimes he's dropping outside the top 10 wide receivers, but 
people would be surprised to know he actually had his highest yards per target of his career in 2020, which is just, he's had a phenomenal career. Obviously the guy, I think he averages 11% more yards per game than any other wide receiver in NFL history. So that's a major thing. Like there's a lot of shakeup on the Falcons this off season, but that's one of those things that you see and you're kind of like, really? I know I was. So hopefully you guys are too. Yeah, he definitely could be turning into an early draft value and, and a reason to jump into some best ball drafts right now. Maybe get Julio Jones where you can get him as late as round four sometimes. You can also find Mike, of course, the Fantasy Pros podcast, wherever you do your listening. He is on Twitter at Mike Taglier with an E at the end. NFL. Thanks, Mike, again for joining us today. No, thank you guys so much for having me. It was it was a blast. Absolutely. You can, of course, also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShoutDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Mike Taglier, Jared Smola, and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shouf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.